It's Friday, September 4th, and you're listening to a brand new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. On today's episode, The Island Hipster. Why'd I have to do an accent? Jean-Paul, comedian, writer, is in studio for a great chat. Also, more scamming the scammers. That and so much more starts now. attack it's friday yeah that's right and you're listening to a brand new episode i said it off the top already of the julian dion comedy hour podcast as always coming at you from lemon press studios in the distillery district downtown toronto hi 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 oh oh hi hi all right how you doing today are you good? I'm feeling pretty good. Not so tired. I feel good for once. The last few episodes, I was either tired or ailing of some sort. Anyway, I'm good. I'm energetic. It's the weekend. It's Labor Day weekend, everybody. Celebrating labor. Is that... I don't know. All right. Well, it's happened... Um, I felt like there's something I wanted to say off the top, but it'll come to me. It'll come to me. It will come to me. I booked something, finally. If uh, you've been listening to the podcast since day one, which is coming up in a year, you'll know that I've auditioned uh, about a million times, and very rarely, I haven't booked really much. Anything, really. There's one thing that I don't really count because it was a French thing and they were looking for someone. And, uh, but it happened. I booked something. I did this audition, uh, last week for, and, and I honestly thought, like, like, you know, you've been on inter- job interviews and you're pretty sure you tanked it. I thought I tanked this one. So I got a call from my agent and she was pretty excited. She's like, oh, I just had a great chat with a casting director about you. She wants to make sure you still have the long hair and beard. And uh, so, long story short, it was for this uh, short, or sorry, a 10-part miniseries on the CBC here in Canada. It's called Canada, the Story of Us, which there has been an American version and an Australian version. Excuse me. And Canada, being Canada, we're just going to take that, take those ideas, and do our version. Anyway, so... It's kind of like a 10-part history on our country from 1640 to 2015, basically. And I'll be in the first episode, and basically it's uh, what the audition was for was for a French 
It's for the first French settlers, of course. French. I'm French. So there's that. Typecast. Hey. Anyway, uh, so it was for uh, the audition was for uh, early French settlers as part of the Samuel de Champlain crew that came over. And um, so I the, and the audition was again. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. One that. Uh, it was an improvised one without script, which I really don't like because it adds an element of awkwardness, especially for if you're with someone else. If you have to improv on your own, that's not too bad. But when there's someone else in the room, you're relying on what they're saying, and it really takes away from the acting. You know what I mean? Because you're always thinking of what the hell they're going to say next uh, and how you should react to it. So I go into this room with this other actor, and there's... There's... Uh, Three casting people: their casting director, the director, and an assist, an assistant of sorts. Very nice people, and we get to chatting. And where I'm super nervous. I'm always nervous for these things. And their camera wasn't working, so they get to switch it out. So actually, that worked in our favor because we got to sit there and chat with the casting people, and they were so so nice. So it got I got a little comfortable. So. They give us the gist of the scene. They're like, all right, it's Samuel de Champlain. Him and his men get here uh, in July. Uh, They're about a month late. And by winter, they have to have three two-story buildings built as well as uh, have food planted and harvested enough food to survive the winter. And so he's a real hard ass, apparently. History says he was a hard ass, like his men couldn't really have fun or drink. It was round the round the clock work because they needed to survive. Uh, so it was kind of like a fight or flight, life or death sort of sitch. But in the meantime, one of the guys, Jean Duval, gets fed up. He get and by the way, this is all real. This is history. I I learned this going on this audition and and being part of this project, and it's pretty fascinating. So this. Uh, Guy, Jean Duval, who's kind of fed up with the hard assery, and he kind of wants a bit of a break. So much so that he decides his only way to get a break is by killing Samuel de Champlain. So what he does is he recruits a couple men and starts to uh, starts to concoct this elaborate plan to kill him. But in the process, there's one guy that rats him, ha- rats him out. And then Jean Duval was beheaded, killed. Well, yeah, obviously, if you're beheaded, you're killed, you're dead. And so they tell us this, and then we do the scene, and the scene is we're going to reverse roles. We're going to do, we're each going to take our turn being Jean Duval and this Natal guy that that rats him out, and then we flip. But anyway, the improv scene is so uncomfortable, so... We get in there, and we they're like, all right, action. No script. You just go. And they don't really speak French, uh, the casting people, so we kind of we have that sort of cushion. So anyway, we start the scene, and the acting, my acting partner is, <laughs> I can tell he's nervous. His lips are quivering. He's really both nervous and into it. And also what he's saying isn't making total sense. His French is bang on, like he speaks very well. And also they instruct us, it has to be Parisian French. I speak Acadian French. And they say it has to be Parisian French because there was no Acadians or Quebec French-speaking people back then. 
It was all Parisian people, and we're going to do it twice. Well, really four times. We're going to do it once in French, flip the rolls, do it again. Then we're going to do it once with a French accent, and then flip the rolls and do it again with a French accent. So I'm shitting my pants, and the guy starts, and he, again, is not making sense. His French is good, but he's just kind of throwing words together, words that individually make sense, but when you string them together, uh, don't make any sense. So I'm kind of just, I'm like, oh, fuck, shit, and I'm trying to go with it, and I, I'm nervous, and I'm repeating repeating myself and repeating a line and uh, I'm just kind of <laughs> and they're like okay good and then switch roles we do it again and I basically take what he said but try to make some sense of it and use that as my kind of template for a script and we do it and then we do it again and again and then they're like okay great thanks and the last time we were doing it I'm like just call cut come on please just stop let's stop this and so anyway um, turns out they liked it. They liked my nervous energy <laughs> and my running around in there. Uh, I got booked on it. So I will be, like I said, on in the first episode on the CBC. Air, it airs next year at some point. I'm not sure exactly when, but it shoots next Friday, my part. I already got fitted and everything, and it's uh, pretty fun to be a part of this thing. So it can happen, everybody, if you're a young actor or <laughs> struggling. So just keep doing it. Something, uh, something's bound to give. I'll have more information on that as uh, we roll along with it. I just wanted to share that because I've, ha- I've shared so many stories of failure on the podcast. So with one small success, small victory, I figured I would offset the glass half empty vibes I've been throwing towards uh, the acting arena of my life. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, time now. Let's do this again uh, because I did say that I would do this every episode and uh, the last episode was a pretty good one as far as the segment goes and it's going to be happening all the time. So time now for another installment of Scamming. Actually, let me set it up for if there's a first-time listener out there. So there's a surge of CRA, Canadian Canada Revenue Agency, uh, scam phone calls happening. I myself uh, received one of these, these phone calls one day. So I've been calling them relentlessly, pranking them, because there's no real defense against these people other than awareness. So I'm trying to get the word out there. If you do get one of these messages, don't fall for it, because people do send over thousands and thousands of dollars. So I'm trying to do my part comedically and whichever other way uh, to... Um, at the very least, annoy these guys, and they get very irritated by my relentless phone calls, and so I'm going to play them on the podcast every episode until, well, whatever, until, uh, who knows, indefinitely, all right? So here it is. Here's now time for another... (laughs) I'm so all over the map. Oh, and I should preface actually by saying uh, some, because I mentioned that some of the scammers are very, very savvy, and others not so much, where there's a lot of holes in their pitch. Like I mentioned before, some of them have accidentally said CRA, or sorry, IRS, or Department of Homeland Security, which we don't have in Canada, or ask for zip codes. Well, here's an example of a really bad one. This guy, 
This guy was pretty... He must be new at it. Anyway, it's it's a wonder anybody falls for this, but people do. Uh, I read articles about it all the time. So anyway, all right. Time now for another installment of... What's the name of the segment? Scamming the Scammers. Every day that goes by, telephone scammers are stealing your peace, stealing your money. But together we can stop this abuse. Please... Help the JDCH free the people. Please, pick up the phone now and help us fuck these fucking fucks. Thanks for calling. CRS, how can I help you? Yes, I have a lawsuit. Go ahead. I, I just got a voicemail saying I had a lawsuit pending against me and I'm just trying to rectify it. Okay, just hold on. And which number will receive the voicemail? Your home number or your cell phone? Uh, my home number. Okay, can you give me your home number so I check the paperwork? Sure. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Seven four. And you're living in Toronto, O-N, am I right? That, that's right. O-N is for Ontario. Yes, yes. Now, sir, the reason why we are trying to reach you my name is Officer Jonathan Knight, and I'm calling from the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, okay? Mm -hmm. Every year, you are filing the tax, income tax, to the CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency, am I right? Y yes, of course, yeah. But there is a mistake, sir. There is a big mistake in your tax file. Okay. Now, sir, the reason why we are trying to reach you is to inform you that there is an arrest warrant issue against on your name and your physical address under federal investigation. Oh, you mean, uh, so a warrant for my... Did you receive any phone call from the local police department? No. Regarding your arrest warrant? No. Oh. Okay. Just grab a piece of paper handy with you. Okay. And I... write it down some important information. Okay, I have it now. First of all, write it down your arrest warrant ID number. Oh, no. 00 dash. 00 dash. 00 dash. 00 dash. 00 dash. 3636. 3656. Yes. That's your arrest warrant ID number, okay? Oh. Also write it down, my name, Officer Jonathan Knight. Officer Jonathan Knight, oh. That write it down, my badge number, that sounds like my a secret badge agent. ID number, mm -hmm. 46719. 46719. Okay? Okay. Now, sir, you do not need to write it down anything and listen to me very carefully. You do have right to get the information before you get arrested by the local police department. Oh no! I, I can provide you a limited information over the phone, but you make sure, you make sure that you do not interrupt me between while I am providing you the information, okay? Okay. 
and it's also my job to make you aware that this is a three way conference this call is three way conference with a department homeland security so whatever you speak department of whatever yes with the homeland security so whatever you speak or commit must be truth and honest okay okay because this phone recording will be serving in front of bar council of your state to prove you innocent and guilty okay now sir the reason why the arrest warrant issue against on your name the cra has done the court audit income tax audit did you understand meaning of the audit tax audit yes okay the meaning of the audit we have to recheck double check we have to recheck your every year tax paper your income tax paper and we have to found there are a lots of mistake a lots of error in the 1040a form 941c form and just because of those error there is a miscalculated tax amount pending on your name which you are still hiding to the cra department which you are still owing to the cra department the federal government why why sir why why <laughs> you are hiding the money of i cra <laughs> i don't What's know the reason I What don't. What reason you are hiding the money? It's not on What purpose. What happened with you? I'm just trying to feed my family. <laughs> Why, sir? I'm sorry. I will pay anything. Do you have any financial problem in your house? So you are hiding the money of CRA? No. Five thousand and five hundred dollars? No. I, I just want to keep my money. That's why. Okay. Now can you write it down the amount? The yes. amount is five thousand five hundred dollars. Did you write down? Yes. Okay. Now, my two senior auditor, the two professional auditor, Mr. Robert Marshall and Mr. Mark Benson, they done the audit on your tax file. they recheck your every year tax paper your income tax paper and they found you done the mistake who is person you done the mistake in your tax file you never file your tax properly to the irs department the cra department so did you done this intentionally or it was just on its mistake it's i did it intentionally yes Did you do this intentionally or this is a mistake? No, this was intentional. Intentional. So, do you have that much money with you to pay your local CRA department and cancel the arrest warrant? Yes. Okay. Now, sir, I have a few legal question which I need to get answer from your side. Simple yes or no. Have you ever been arrested by the state police in your past life? Yeah, well we don't have states in Canada but yes. Okay. Today you are going to arrested by the local police department 
in your city, your sheriff department. They are going to arrest you after one hour. But have you ever been arrested before any crime? Yes. Okay. And have you ever filed a bankruptcy or foreclosure in the past? Yes. And how many people, how many people depending on you in your family right now? 26. 26 people depending on you. Yes. I believe that you have answered all my questions with the utmost honestly and I appreciate you are cooperating with the IRS department. You are cooperating with the CRA department. Uh, now, did you now, say... Sir, can I ask you one thing? Yes. Do you know the CRA very well or not? Yes, of course. Okay, I will explain you the meaning of the CRA. The meaning of the CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency, am I right? Yes. We are a federal government. Sir, we are a federal government in a CRA, in our city. We are not a small thing. If you think we are a small thing, forget. We are not a small thing. Every single penny, every single dollar important for us. And you are hiding $5,500 to the CRA because, sir, if you are not able to pay this money in the courthouse, the CRA department, we are going to seize your property, bank account, debit card, credit card, each and everything blocked from the CRA side. And we have to block your SIN number for at least three working years. And regarding this crime, the CRA department, we will be sending you the last six months Federal Imprisonment Detention Center located Ohio. Okay. So if you are going to lose the case, are you able to pay the suing amount $30,000 in the courthouse? Yes. Or do you want me to pay $5,500 to resolve the matter? I would rather pay uh, $5,000. So do you have $5,500? Yes. Are you able to do a Western Union to your law? The your judge, your state controller, yes. you have to do a Western Union in front of your judge. So they are cancelled the arrest warrant and they are cancelled your case file. So you have to do a Western Union in front of judge. Are you able to do that? Yes. So do you have that much money, $5,500 to pay your lo local judge and no. resolve the matter? No, no, I can do half. How much money you have right now in your bank account? So I talk to local police department and the local CRA department and we have to cancel the arrest warrant and the remaining balance I will be request them. They will be help you out the payment plan. $1,000. But you have the money in your bank account. I see your bank account. You have the money in your bank account. You Why see you are lying to me? How, how much money do I have in my bank account? You don't know? You are lying to me? don't have the money in your bank account? No, I only have $1,000. So you, so you can do one thing. You have to pay $1,500 today in front of judge by a Western Union. And the remaining balance, you have to pay $100 every month. Are you able to do that? Yes. Okay.
Now, sir, if you want to resolve the matter outside the courthouse, if you really want this is the honest mistake, sir, you have to follow a three conditions. The first condition, you have to pay this money, your local CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency. Are you able to do that today itself? I can give you $300 today. But I do not need your $300. Two hundred dollars. You have to pay this money your local CRA department. Once you are going to arrest, it, go there, sir. Leave your house. Go your local CRA, and you have to pay this money one thousand five hundred dollar over there. Okay. Okay. I can go to my local CRA. Go there. Go there. Before you are going to arrest, it, go there, sir. Leave your house. Okay, I'm leaving now. Hello. Oh my God. And there it is, another one, another one in the books, and I'm going to keep making these calls consistently. Also, if you have been affected by these phone calls, why don't you email me, pod, P-O-D, at jdcomedyhour.com, and send me the number that you received a phone call from, and I will prank them on your behalf, okay? Also, it can it can be any other scam. It doesn't necessarily have to be Canada Revenue Agency scam that's going on right now. That's just the most relevant one, but if you've keep getting phone calls from a certain phone number or whatnot, send it my way and I will do my best to irritate the fuck out of these people. All right, let's get to my guest today. Uh, This guy, he's one of my faves uh, to watch in the biz and to be around. He's a soothing presence. He's uh, very laid back and just positive and hysterically funny. Very, very funny guy on and off stage. It was a pleasure to interview him because he's a great storyteller and he made it so easy to to interview. We came here in Lemon he came here in Lemon Press Studios. And I'll, I should say this, he really wanted to take advantage of the full vibes in here. We lit some candles. He noticed I had some incense, so we lit some incense and uh, we got into it. It was a great fun chat uh, with this guy. And he's such a good storyteller. I, one of his stories, I actually sweat, sweated profusely, like through my shirt. Anyway, I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, so look this guy up. Uh, his name is, and I didn't give him a proper bio when he came in because I just done another interview. And I mean, I, obviously the people that come in the studio, I know them. I work with them. They're friends. And uh, But I don't often know all of their credits so I had just done another interview with another comic and he rolled in and I didn't really have time to do much research I kind of butcher his intro off the top but let me tell you about this guy I mean oh man he's done everything you can do in Canada comedy wise he's had his own hour special uh, comedy now on the comedy network he's been to all the major comedy festivals at Just for Laughs. He has a gala. He's been to the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, the Halifax Comedy Festival. He's been uh, nominated for several uh, awards, uh, one being a Gemini. Gemini? Juno. Gemini. Ju... Oh, fuck. What is it? Yeah, I'm butchering his intro now, and he's not in studio. I have all the time in the world to do the research. It's a Gemini Award that he was nominated for, for writing uh, in a comedy series. You've also seen him on uh, Strombo, George Strombolampolis, tonight, uh, as a panelist. He's been on the Russell Peters Christmas special on CTV here in Canada. He's traveled all over the world doing stand-up. Uh, he's very funny, like I said, and very accomplished in television writing, voiceover. He's one of the best. He's got a stacked resume, and I feel like I didn't 
give him proper due when he was sitting here, so that's why I'm doing that right now. Anyway, let's get to the interview. You're going to enjoy this guy a lot, and be sure to check out his website uh, after the chat, because I know you'll you'll want to look this guy up. Jean-Paul Comedy, that's G, J, J, it's J, forget the G, J, E-A-N, Paul Comedy.com, John Paul Comedy. So enjoy my chat with the very funny, affable, lovable, island hipster, island hipster, the island hipster. I don't know why that has to come with an accent, but uh, all right. Oh my God. Ramble Fest uh, 2015. Enjoy my chat with John Paul. You and me belong. Just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People, I need to lose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy hour. This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast with guest Jean-Paul is brought to you yet again, always and forever by Echo One Photography. That's right, Echo One Photography, Grotto, Greater Toronto Area listeners, GTA, Tirana. I'm talking to you. If you're a comedian, actor, business person, anybody really that needs to get any sort of headshots done or any sort of photography, well, look, look no further. Echo One Photography will get that done for you. And some damn good shots as well. If you own a business and want to get some product photography done for e-commerce or advertising purposes, look no further. Echo One is the answer. Be sure to email my good buddy Eugene. That's E-U-G-E-N-E at EchoOnePhotography.com. Enter J-D-C-H in the subject line just so he knows that, that uh, you know, you heard it on the podcast. Enter that in the subject line for special offers. Do it today. This is hype, man. This is cool, man. This is nice. Everybody, a nice mixed crowd up front, and black people in the back. It's nice. <laughs> no, y'all ain't got to sit back there no more. You know that, right? Okay, this is good. Uh, I, again, like most people uh, doing a comedy special, I like to start out by letting you know a little bit about me, since some of you probably have no idea who I am. I'm originally from an island in the Caribbean called Trinidad. That's right. So I was born. Mm-hmm. Immigration in the house, right on. <laughs> So me being born in Trinidad and growing up in Canada means one thing. I was abused as a child, basically. <laughs> I just don't get it. My parents are like, let's move from the hottest country in the world to one of the coldest countries in the world. <laughs> I like mentioning to people that I am from Trinidad because sometimes they look at me and they can't tell what I am, right? They'll be like, is he black? Is he Spanish? Is he, is he Indian? Is he the Taliban? What the... <laughs> And that's the beautiful thing about my country, man. Trinidad is a beautiful country. If you've never, ever been there, uh, if you go, you'll notice that it's so mixed, like multicultural. It's so mixed. You got, like, black people, you have Indian people, you have Syrian, you have Chinese, you have white. It's beautiful. And that makes a beautiful statement about my country. You know what that says? We'll fuck anybody. (laughs) So watch your step on the way out. How was that comedy show you went to? I got pregnant. <laughs> Goddamn Trinis. I grew up in Toronto, so I don't have an accent, so I don't know how many people here. Is that what they sound like in Trinidad? No, they, that's not what they sound like. You know? What I love about the Trinidadian accent, it's, it's very nice sounding. It makes you sound like you're on vacation. Yeah, and that's a beautiful part of it. My lady, she's, she's Trinidadian. I love, I love getting into arguments with her because they're so intense for her. 
You know, she's like, I think you just don't take me seriously. <laughs> All that ever does is make me feel like drinking rum and doing the limbo. That's it. I love you, girl. Okay, and that, of course, that you just heard just there in the future, in the past. When? It's in the future for us now, but it's a clip from the past. Did I just blow your mind? Is uh, my guest today. He sits in Lemon Press Studios. And, oh, man, what can I say about this guy? Uh, hilarious on and off stage. He's a gentle sir. Uh, I love him. <laughs> He's uh, been all over the world performing stand-up comedy. You've seen him at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. He's been uh, also... What else have you done uh, on TV? Oh, you've been on CBC Strombo yeah. uh, as part of the uh, Russell Peters Christmas special on CTV. And uh, also television writing. You've uh, found quite some success in that. Uh, so much so that uh, this guy was nominated for a Gemini Award for uh, TV writing. And uh, he's here. He's done so much more, which we'll get into uh, now. But this is what I've been able to drum up in 30 seconds of looking uh, on my phone while he sits in front of me in Lemon Press wow. Studios. My man, John Paul, is in the house. The Island Hipster himself julian thank you it's a pleasure to be here man <laughs> how are you man fantastic you look good so just make sure you always kind of eat the mic get comfortable that's no problem how about eat that it? yeah that sounds good because right. uh, if i turn up the gain too much and it picks up the ac and it's yeah we don't uh, need it's that. a fucking mess we don't need that uh you look good man thank you you look fresh i the, slept the beard is uh the beard <laughs> is new i think i'm Maybe. trying to be the black you that's what i'm trying to be <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I love the beard, the glasses. Did you work out today? No, today's my rest day. Actually. Rest day, because you're fucking a machine. I follow you on Instagram and everything, and you're a fucking beast mode, man. Uh, it became addictive, man. In the beginning, it was it was about being vain and uh, at least just trying to be able to... Uh, my ultimate goal, when they asked me what my fitness uh goal was it was that my shirt fit off my chest and not my gut right right that right. was that was my ultimate kind of hangs off yeah it, yeah you know i mean and, and being someone who stands in front of people for a living i was like you know what fuck it let at least look semi-presentable if i could so did you it was start vain. did you get into fitness like late like later in life or yeah, were you all, like yeah. not even barely two years man. really yeah, holy yeah, shit yeah, man yeah, yeah, you're, doing, barely you're doing two well years. Yeah, you're yeah. killing it so. and uh yeah because i i i used to do this sometimes do this line on stage it's a throwaway line sometimes it works most times it doesn't but i i say same kind of thing i used to go to gym like for different reasons uh, I used to go for my looks. Now I, I go so I don't get depressed, basically, like <laughs> mentally. So I used to go for my abs. Now I go so I don't get sad, you know? And it's true. Like, after a while, yeah. you just don't really give a fuck yeah. uh, about what you... Well, I mean, it, you, I mean, obviously, uh, as a byproduct of working out all the time, you're going to end up, you know, getting a little chiseled physique and look yep. good, good. But it's also just a feeling good. And it's funny you say that because um, what I've taken away most of all is... Um, it just shows me that you put discipline in anything and and results will show. It may not always be the results you're looking for, but results come either way, whether you have arms or triceps or a, a flat stomach or whatever. So this has now turned into an exercise comedically because I forgot about what discipline was because you sometimes just take your, your talent and, and your, your art for granted because you're like, all right, I've accomplished this or I've kind of accomplished this and I've and I feel like I've reached a level where I don't really need to always work on it which is like i don't always need to eat properly and then once you start you know getting rid of cutting trimming the fat so this has become an exercise in more comedy than my body um so that's what i've gotten most out of it that's the side effect so so i'm i'm 
not that I ever fell out of love with comedy, but I'm I'm excited about comedy again, which is cool. Yeah, and it, it just gives you that mental energy to to be able yeah. to to do it better and perform yeah. at a better like a higher level. I yeah. found like when I work out all the time, and I read this about a comic, I can't remember who it is, but when he goes on the road, he literally trains like he's he's go like for marathons, but it's for his shows. Yeah. And it makes such a big difference. Like your mental game gets so much stronger. And it's such a mental thing what we do. And it's funny too, because I've noticed, um, I won't say a whole lot of comedians, but uh, uh, when I was in Montreal last year for at Jess for Laughs and I saw Bill Burr, I was like, wow, Bill Burr, you know, has clearly been working out and taking care of himself. And, and, and even major dudes like uh, Kevin Hart, like that's one of Kevin's Hart's biggest things. He'll like, you know, do pop up 5K runs yeah, in cities like and jacked, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah. So, you know, so it, it, it seems that uh, more comedians are realizing, you know, take care of your body and, and all that. Because, I mean, you know the lifestyle we live, man. It's the lifestyle and, <laughs> and think of all the people that we've lost over the years, man. Yeah, like, seriously, yeah, yeah. when it yeah, comes yeah. to co a comedy, yeah. it's like pick your addiction or pick your organ failure. It's like so many people and it's so important to uh because we li we do a thing that it's so easy to not exercise i mean you go on the oh, yeah. road you get up late you just you just hang out you do shows and you get an adrenaline rush from that and it's like yeah. you just and then a month turns into a year that you haven't exercised and it it's crazy how fast that <laughs> But happens. let's not get it twisted. I still like to fucking drink with the best of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. my thing. So, uh, I'm having a beer as we speak, and it's uh, early in the day. I won't say what time, but it's early. Tecate. <laughs> like to uh, what gym do you go to, man? Because I see your pictures, and you're like, because some people, uh, you know, quote, work out, and they'll go like, <laughs> you, you'll go to like Good Life on the treadmill for a little bit and do a couple pussy-ass weights, but you're like training <laughs> with like tires and chains and shit, like a real fucking hardcore shit. Make it sound like some kind of slavery gym. <laughs> <laughs> and those crunches you do, you look like you're picking something. Hey, hey, hey. But uh, no, uh, to, to uh, one of my closest friends, uh, Daryl Devonish, who we pretty much consider each other family. Like, I mean, we've known each other, you know, since we were like, I don't know, seven or eight or something like that. And uh, so he, he has a gym uh, with a friend, another friend of ours that I went to high school with named Niall Trainer, who's like my guru. So they opened up this, it's basically a fit body gym or it's a boot camp kind of gym where you, you do all sorts of different things. And, and it's not, you can use weights, but it, it, they usually make you use your own or kettlebells or something like that to, you know, make it a little tougher and stuff like that. So it's very minimalist gym, which is what I need. Right. I don't need the. Dis we were talking about distractions earlier. You know what I mean? Like we can't do certain things because you start off and then you look over and you're like, ooh, shiny. And then yeah. you know. So that's the, the thing about gyms for me. You, you, I, I found a lot of times you just end up kind of just walking around. You don't you know, know where yeah, to yeah, start. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah. Someone's using the shit you want to do. Then you're like, oh, what am I gonna do now? Like, yeah. All right, I'll just look at that chick over there. Or well, <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. Because uh, because I used to work out like back back in the day, and it was like old school, like uh, like. Uh, where you do like chest and back one day and like yeah. I don't know biceps yeah. and try or and then leg, but now I I got a trainer for a little bit and it's more about uh, like practical what's the word is it like movements that you use in everyday life because yeah, 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 yeah. like how yeah, often yeah. are you yeah, lying on a yeah, bench yeah. pushing up yeah, yeah. In, in life yeah, yeah. right. Uh, anyway, enough about that. <laughs> All that to say, you look great, bro. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's let's get to know uh, JP a little bit. Let's get to know <laughs> your background. Where are you from? You, you're uh, from. Where were you born? Were you born here? Born in Trinidad and Tobago you're in a small in town called Sangre Grande, which is like a country. So, um, and then moved here. Uh, so the story goes like this. Um, uh, 
born in Trinidad, moved to Canada when I was about three-ish. Uh, and then we moved back to Trinidad when I was nine. And then uh, we moved to to New York when I was almost 14. And then we left there because my mom was like, uh, I don't want to live in New York. It's too violent. And then we left and came back to Toronto and pretty much been here ever since. But I, you know, I'm always on that, the go somewhere. Not super common to have the move, um, like, come to Canada and then go back. Why did you guys go back when you were nine? Um, it was a big oil boom in Trinidad and, and, and it's always been the kind of country that, you know, it, it, it I don't want to say it's like a small town, but everybody kind of knows everybody, you know what I mean? So, uh, people move for job opportunities all the time. So one of my dad's friends was like, Hey, you know, come, you got crazy experience in Canada, right? you know, in the banks and the financial, you know, uh, arena. So, you know, come and share some of that wealth here. And that's pretty much why we moved back. It was huge oil. I mean, a lot of people don't know Trinidad's like this huge oil producing country you know what i mean for such a small island so right it's, it's still like to this day oh hell yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy money man like it's got it's like the richest richest of the rich shit that you see and then like some of the poorest of the poorest island shit you would expect to see you know right. what i mean like a but huge it's, gap. yeah but it's it's not a resort country like we don't really invite tourism per se to say hey come to our resorts and you know we'll cater to you and shit like that trinities aren't big on going what you would like something else to eat it's like you know if they come back to your table after serving you you're you know, you're, you're lucky actually right. <laughs> she says, send my texts i'll be when you're ready <laughs> so and what did your parents do uh dad uh, uh worked in investment banking and mom pretty much worked at the bank as well in accounting so she was uh you know uh, pretty much up until then my dad you know just kept moving on and he worked for levi's and and you know all sorts of crazy companies like that and stuff like that and mom just kind of you know did what moms do and kept it steady and even and and you know and then they moved back to trinidad when I was like 28. Oh, so, so they're down there now? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah. cool. So, so do you have any family up here or anything? No, nah, I'm only child. Oh, I got cousins and aunts and uncles and stuff like that. So, right. Um, but as far as brothers and sisters, I, I have no siblings. And you lived in New York. So do you have a dual citizenship or anything like that? No, because uh, we didn't get to become a citizen yet. It was, it was almost, it was landed type, um, right. you know, residency type stuff. And then, and then before we could even put that into the thing, we were up, phew, we were gone. And when did hindsight's twenty twenty? I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dad, can we get this going? Yeah, seriously. Now it'd be a good thing to have. <laughs> do you have it? Well, do you do some work down there though, right? Um, I try to go down. Um, I'm. I gotta get a v. I gotta get a proper visa, basically. You know. So. Do um, you have like that circus the, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you go down, and, and at least you could. But I, I try not to abuse it, so right. I, I don't want to be that guy. So when I want to fully go for a proper visa, I don't want to be like, "So you're the guy," you know. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> of course, it's immigration. So, but. Uh, and uh, so your formative years, you were here in Toronto. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. What What age were you when? you got back the second time after new york uh just almost 14 mm -hmm. almost 14 and when was when did you get into the game the comedy game um officially or what would or you say my interest because yeah, I, i'd probably say at 12 at 12 mm -hmm. i knew this is what i wanted to do really yeah, young that's at young. 12 yeah i what? came out of the comedy closet basically yeah and who 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 were your guys who made uh, you go i want to do that Eddie Murphy yeah. was, was completely the guy, unequivocally. Yeah, yeah. I was just showing uh, my boy who's, you know, obviously it's a podcast because you can't see him, but uh, my boy who's here, I was just showing him yesterday. Uh, I have uh, a folder. I still have the folder from when I was like, you know, 14, 15 of, of Eddie Murphy. Um, it's just like 
old clippings and articles and Rolling Stone and Ebony Magazine wow. and Jet Magazine and just like yeah. and it's like a full on stalker folder like <laughs> full on you know what I mean like I could get a restraining order for the amount of shit that I have what uh, was the first thing you saw of his was it Delirious or something it was actually Saturday Night Live oh yeah I remember seeing him on Saturday Night Live and then Delirious came out um, and Delirious was probably one of the first time. like I mean before Eddie uh, I I listened to Richard Pryor, not because I was so, you know, um, <laughs> suave, you know, and, and knew what was going on, you know, with, in comedy and stuff like that. It's just my parents had the albums. Right. And then they would leave. And I know that I knew that they would listen to it and they would laugh. And I knew I wasn't allowed to listen to it. So knowing I wasn't allowed to listen to it, I was like, hey, you know, something's got to be going on. Uh, so, I, you know, uh, a lot of the shit that I got, a lot of the shit I got and a lot of shit I was like, ah, what's fucking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some of it was funny and then some of it I got because of the, you know, just the, the in- inflammation and exclamation and, and, and connotation and denotation, a lot of otations. Um, uh, and then, but also there was uh, the, the Cosby's, they had the Cosby albums, they had the, the Carlin albums. Mm-hmm. So they gave me a pretty full, uh, like, I don't even think they knew, but they were giving me a pretty good uh, spectrum of what comedy the ga- especially at that time yeah. and they were actually into comedy as well like Jonathan Winters and like on TV and shit like that too so at least I had a, I had a very uh, healthy uh, um, introduction and, and development to watch comedy like you know before I even wanted to do it but when Eddie Murphy came out boom that was that was my heroine yeah I remember watching Delirious man and I couldn't even believe how funny it I couldn't was. Believe, I couldn't breathe. Yeah, I was laughing. Was crazy. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. And then I remember watching it recently and I'm like, oh shit, like the first 10 minutes you could never get away with no, that. No, not anymore. <laughs> because again, just the, 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 at the time that it was, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the term we used yesterday when we were talking about him is uh, I think he was the first real comedy rock star absolutely you know what i mean oh, like yeah. you know cover of rolling stone and, and fucking leather and uh the the cover is is him uh with a, a leather glove and a ring over the pinky finger and the pinky fingers in his nose like that's ah. that's that's the rolling stone cover you that's know what i mean it's, it's pretty dope so he, and he was a rock star on stage and yeah. off stage oh, totally. like he lived totally. the lifestyle totally. the entourage and yeah. uh, he used to drink again just the the nerdism in my thing he, he never drank he never drank alcohol and didn't smoke and uh when he would order from the bar he would order coke he would order coke no ice in case somebody put drugs in the ice Right. That, that's how we drank his Coke. Just right. Coke, no ice. Just straight up yeah. Coke. Yeah. And so when did you finally make the decision to step on stage for the first time? I'd probably say high school. I want to say uh, grade 11. The, the, the weird story is, uh, and I'm sure I've probably told the story before, but uh, in the high school that I was at, they had a fundraising week. And at the end of the week, each homeroom has to do uh, a, something to raise money. My friends, one of my boys' home rooms were doing lip sync in the auditorium. Um, and obviously I wasn't at that shit. I was downstairs playing basketball, uh, being stereotypical. And uh, then somebody ran down and was like, hey, the amp blew in the auditorium. Uh, Andrew McCarthy is trying to sing show tunes. And the kid, the dudes, it was a, a, the, the crowd's going crazy. They're like booing him and trying to get him off the stage. They're like, this is your big chance. Go and tell your jokes. And I'm like, what? So <laughs> people knew, like in your circle, knew you yeah, were into at, it. Yeah, because I was, I was the lunchroom dude. You right. know what I mean? I was also, you know, I was, I was the joker and, and uh, in the lunchroom and cracking people up. And, and that was my, you know, that was my job, you know. And it was a job I, I you know, applied for, you know, willingly. So, um, so I was, you know, and I went up and told, I, one, had, 
oddly enough, I had written a couple of premises that I thought might have been funny. Uh, and then they were also, I just sanitized a lot of Eddie's jokes, but I didn't try to pass them off as mine. You know, I wasn't trying to fat Jew, you know, back in the eighties, <laughs> you know, I was giving credit where credit was actually, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, for people who wrote their shit. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it was a mix of my stuff and Eddie's stuff. And then somebody after was like, you should go to Yuck Yucks. And, and I didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about. And then, you know, eventually when I was 19, I, I officially tried it. So. Was uh, it a amateur night? It was an amateur night hosted by Ron Vaudry. Oh, shit. <coughs> and Ron's been all over this podcast as a guest, <laughs> and he's been mentioned many, many times in positive and, and negative lights. And uh, and here's why I can't hate on him. He was the first person that actually, in, after I did my set, he actually encouraged me uh, to do... to. To do it again, to continue, and his reasoning is was uh, he's like you have one of the best uh, white voice imitations I've ever heard. <laughs> so I, was I like, mean, that's big for him to give uh, to give anybody anybody any anybody props for yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. We're still cool to this day, which is pretty cool. I yeah, like that. yeah. I, I know, I, I know, mean, he's I get, he can be polarizing, and then he could just be fucking Baudry. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta say personally, I like the guy because he's. I'm mad at him because because there's there's so much uh, when he talks, he's so negative about most things in life. Yes. But yet there's this sweet old man yes. undertone to yeah, him yeah, because yeah. he'll do some nice yep. things for you. Yep. You're like, yep. oh, he's just a nice yeah, yeah. guy. If he was all negative, he'd be dead already. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> his little bit of positivity is keeping him alive. It's basically like his. <laughs> doot, doot. <laughs> Dude, keeping him alive. Uh, so you go on stage. Shout out to Vode. Yeah, shout out Vode, the Vode Master General. Uh, so you go on stage in the eleventh grade, and then between then and nineteen, you don't really get up much. Or? I tried doing uh, high school talent shows, mm-hmm. so they would do that. And I, again, it was actually jokes that I I, I wrote, um, you know, and I, I can't even say any of them were funny. They were horrible, right? Um, but I did them, and uh, it it. It wasn't unnatural for anybody. So not to say that I started to get the reputation of, you know, hey, that's the guy who's trying to be a comedian in high school. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of deal. But, like, my friends would come and they would support me. And it wasn't weird for them. They, they weren't like, why are you trying to do this, man? Right. Why, why are you trying to be a comedian, man? You're crazy. You know, they were like, dude, you, you're, you're totally suited for it. So I've, I've always had a pretty decent support system from my school friends to my cousins you know, to the, to my friends in the hood, you know, all that kind yeah, of good yeah. stuff. So everyone was like, you know, yeah, you, so nobody that knew me from before, whenever I bucked them up randomly anywhere now, and I tell them, what are you doing now, man? And it's like, comedian, he's like, I always knew it, man. Yeah. I always knew that would be, that was you, JP. That was you, son. <laughs> so no one's ever, you know, what? Are you what? You you didn't go into banking. I was like, no, no. <laughs> Is that your white guy voice? That's a good one. No, That's no. It's, it's actually a little more high pitch. It's my grade 10 math teacher, Mr. Kerr. John Paul, come on. Stop it. Mr. Kerr. Shout out to Mr. Kerr. Great time. (laughs) That's funny because one one of my first, actually not one of my, my first times on stage was at a talent show. It was my first year college and every year the first years would put on this quote like pageant where all the dudes would dress up as women (laughs) and do, it was in French, so it was called Amoiselle, which is a play on like... uh, man lady i guess it just rolls off the tongue better in kind of fucking school did you go to (laughs) (laughs) shit wouldn't exist in the hood (laughs) it was fucked up when i think about it now and so like so all now (laughs) after all these years (laughs) Hmm. wait a minute so we would actually dress up as women 
Like it looked like cartoony, like not actually, I get what you not, mean. not trying to actually. Semi vaudevillian. Right. I know what you'd mean. And uh, it would be like a pageant where you'd come out, you'd do a speech, and you'd do a talent or whatever. And my talent was stand up. And I basically oh, nice. ripped off Ellen DeGeneres because she was my Eddie Murphy. <laughs> How white is that, right? She was, no, so. I think you're just making this whole, I dressed up as a woman because we were supposed to shit. <laughs> Why is Julian the only one in a dress? <laughs> yeah. Oh, were Let we not go. all doing this? So that this is not a thing? Well, I'll just... I'd rather you were in a dress in blackface. So I, right. I'll, uh, I'll I won't that. change anyway. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, really? But here's the thing. Uh, I, 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 As rated as she is, I still think she's pretty underrated. Like She is oh, man. ridiculously quick on her feet, and uh, her attention to detail is, is actually... Uh, uh, ridiculously impressive, and and people don't give her enough credit for uh, it. So and, good for and you, man. stand up wise, but like what what did you see? What was it when? Like how did how did it happen with the Ellen? Well, I saw her. I saw her at the Orphan Theater in you saw Vancouver. Her? Yeah, this wow! is pre this is pre talk show. Wow, this, this was after her sitcom. After she'd come out, but okay. she she wasn't doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And she she started touring again, and I started the Orpheum Theater in Vancouver, Holy shit. and it wasn't even sold out. Like we had balcony seats, and we were able to move down. Okay, That's now crazy. that shit. Would oh yeah, be that would in. never happen. It wouldn't be at the Orpheum, first of all. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I, it was well, like delirious. I actually couldn't believe how funny it was. Like wow. she was, and she did. Uh, I didn't know back then because I didn't know much of her stand up. My sister was a huge Ellen DeGeneres fan, so my sister was like, "Oh my god, we have to go!" And we watched some VHS tapes of her sitcom wow. before going just to get in the mood. And um, I knew nothing of her stand up. Now I know that she it, on that tour she was doing all of her classic stuff, like oh, her, shit. her best, the greatest hits. She, yeah. Wow. And I just couldn't believe how funny it was. And it, I think it may have been even one of my first ever live because I was wow. a huge comedy fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd seen it on TV a bunch, but I'd never really seen it live. So to see it live for the first time and at that level where it wow. was just yeah, like yeah. top yeah, yeah, notch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was dying in my seat, and I remember at that moment thinking, okay, because I had ideas that I wanted to do comedy. I knew from a very young age, but when I saw that, I'm like, this is how I wa- what I want to do, and this is how I want to do it. Like it yeah. was just yeah. so yeah. funny yeah. and clean. I mean, now I don't, I could care less about being clean or not. I don't really, you know, you I just want to be you. I just want to be me exactly, yeah. and I'm not clean off stage. So yeah, why yeah. the fuck would I be on stage? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but back then, I was like, oh my god, like. You know, it was just, it blew my fucking mind. So when I had the chance to get up on stage, and you know, anything that will get you up there really the first time, like I was totally ripping off her bits, like word for word almost. And I was so nervous and butchered them and like, <laughs> uh, you know, a few people laughed, but it wasn't anything. But it took me years yeah, to yeah. get up on stage after that. I think I was like 23, so like maybe five years after that until I actually went up with original material at okay. like a, an amateur night and... Uh, <sighs> But man, yeah, what you do to get up there the first time, it's crazy thinking back. Like, I was dressed as a woman doing Ellen DeGeneres bits, not realizing the irony of any of it, by the way. <laughs> Till years later. <laughs> Until right now. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so when you started at 19, started sort of taking it seriously, you're doing it in a more professional environment, you're mm-hmm. at an actual comedy club. Mm-hmm. How do things kind of uh, unfold where you then eventually start to... Because to, once you graduate high school... Here's the go- weirdest part. So I started doing it at 19, and then uh, coincidentally, 
bumped into another 19 year old uh, comedian who was, you know, looked the same complexion as I was in the name of Russell Peters. And we immediately, uh, because we were the only two young guys and the only two young, you know, people of color, you know, um, him being East Indian and me being West Indian would have been a great buddy cop movie. Damn it, if he'd only take my calls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so then we started, then he started taking me. To, to gigs because he had kind of been doing it before I was because uh, he was also he also knew Kenny Kenny Robinson right so he was like you know looked up to Kenny and Kenny was like come on kid and, and so Russell started doing shows all over th- with Yucks as well as you know he's always been popular like people people think that the the global phenomenon that he is you know is, is it, it's not entirely by accident like mm-hmm. he's always been you know that kind of dude so uh, started doing shit with him then I had a showcase with um with Breslin and then at the end of the showcase and and I just talked about what I knew and I knew about growing up where I grew up you know which is a predominantly black place so I did predominantly black shit so I spoke about predominantly black stuff because that was just my life it wasn't that I was talking about being black I was talking about being me which is fucking black right right so um sorry everybody out there uh, <laughs> 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 so when I did the show, uh, the showcase went well, and uh, Breslin pulled you know, as he pulls everybody aside to give them his you know critique or whatever. And he basically what he had said to me, and this was at nineteen, I was listening to Public Enemy and reading Malcolm X and shit like that. So I was pretty, I won't say militant, but I was pretty, um, you know, very very proud and 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 you know of who I am and my culture and my you know background and all that kind of shit. And what he said to me is, and I don't. Looking back, the same way you wearing the dress and fucking telling jokes. <laughs> uh, looking back now, <laughs> I think I I might have slightly misinterpreted the message. Uh, what what I got was he said if it's very funny and if we ever started tour, you know touring you, then you would have to you know go to places where there aren't a lot of black people. And if you're talking about stuff uh, about black people, you'd have to talk about stuff that they they could relate to, like you know black guys smoking weed and and you know black guys you know stealing cars and all that kind of shit. And what I took from that is like, is that all you think fucking black people do? I'm not you know I'm not going to do this shit. But what he might have been trying to tell me in his weird way was your material needs to be slightly more crossed over. Right. You know, I've been not looking back now, that's what I think. You know what I mean? Because um, now that I have a relationship with him, I, I know he's not a complete dick. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, he's actually a smart guy, you know, and sometimes people, you know, take what he says the wrong way. And I get it. Everyone's, it's like Vaudry, right? So, um, so looking back, I think he was just trying to tell me, uh, try not to be so black. <laughs> so, uh, I took that and I was like, fuck you, I don't need this shit. And then I was like, I don't want to work for you motherfuckers anyway and this is when Def Jam started to become big and I was like I'm gonna go to New York and I'm gonna fucking do Def Jam and I'm gonna be a fucking huge star and blah blah and all that kind of shit again I do nothing about nothing in comedy I, mean, right. I was still trying to showcase to get the fuck onto Amateur Night you know what I mean so and all, all, already I'm at fucking Def Jam you know <laughs> with a movie deal so um, so I stopped and then I tried going back to school for a bit and then I, and then years later um, I'd probably say when I was 25 I bumped into Russell again. Uh, I was working, and then he caught me in a mall, and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I was like, I'm working. And he's like, I've been looking for you fucking forever. This is before cell phones. Right. You know, before you can just you know, hunt motherfuckers down on Facebook. Let me just Google his name. See what the fuck. Uh, so this is when you actually had to like, like it was like that far <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. So, um, and then I started rolling with him, and then he introduced me to Kenny. Um, so he kind of got back into it after yes. a few years away from it. So right. then uh, Kenny, he, he invited me to come to the first um, Nubian show. 
Kilkenny All Black Comedy Sunday Night, and you know, still one of the hottest fucking shows. To I the heard. first ever, yeah, and that just celebrated yeah. twenty years. Right? Twenty years, yeah, that's crazy. right. So I saw the first one. Wow, I wasn't even on the show. Uh, it was Russell, Marlon Brand, Kenny Robinson. Uh, man, who else was on that show? Uh, Ronnie Edwards. Um, so it was all these dudes, and it was such an amazing show. And beyond the show being amazing, just the initial energy, because it was nothing ever in the history of Toronto that had ever had like a, a black comedy night specific right. for. And and the coolest thing about it, what, what made it even cooler was it was completely, not not choreographed or designed by nature. It just worked out that... Toronto was such an, uh, a multicultural mix. So the black people that came out were predominantly African and, uh, and, and Caribbean, you know, regardless of what island. It wasn't, you know, the American yo, yo, yo. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that, that's not necessarily, you know, how we grew up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, there was a mix of talking in our, for lack of a better term, talking in our own language. So uh, everybody Im- immediately embraced that because like, holy shit, finally, shit that, you know, doesn't have to be watered down or shit doesn't have to be translated. We don't need subtitles. We can understand the, you know, the patois as, 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 as it were, you know, and, and, and the different speaks and, and the slangs and the shit that's happening and stuff like that. So um, it, it just this huge swell and so and, and it, ne- it never really stopped the audience has changed now because the world is more uh, of a global village anyway thanks to the you know the internet and, and and online stuff and being able to have access to stuff like that so but in the in the first i'd say at least seven to almost ten years it was one of the most unique and still is one of the most unique shows in the in thing and and that was my my rebirth into comedy and and the reason i said i would do it is because i never ever ever want to live with the regret because i was still it's not that i stopped thinking i was funny i just had no idea what avenues you take to become a comedian at the time and then uh and and so i never wanted to live i never wanted to look back and say man i wonder what happened if i had actually you know continued doing comedy i never ever wanted to say that i said you know i'd rather throw my hat back in fail and then just all right fuck it i'll you know get a regular job and live the rest of my day as a fucking square, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing my nine to five and shit like that. Shout out to all the squares out there making that money, son. <laughs> Salary, yo. Uh, so. <laughs> Retirement. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so, uh, so that was my first reintroduction, rebirth. It was like the most amazing show. So again. And just by watching too. Like, yeah. You're right. I, I wasn't even close to, it wasn't even like, hey, can I get a guest spot? It wasn't even like, it was like, I take it watched the show and then he introduced me to Kenny after that and uh and and we were and and I I mean this before they started murdering people we were like the Suge Knight and Tupac after a while cuz you know we we were, it was like death row up in that bitch and we just started pulling people in like Mr. Mo and Gavin Stevens and you know Russell was still part of the crew and shit like that and and uh you know Ron Jossel and you know all these all these crazy you know hot dudes that you know we had our own little circuit, so and 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 I mean now when you look at those same names, they're still pretty, yeah, you know, heavy sure. duty names and shit like for that. Sure. So uh, that was my reintroduction. You know, How was well. your first ever time on that new being stage? Here's the funny part. I went up after. Oh God, I always forget his name. Um, and was this like how Arnold Pinnock? Okay, Arnold Pinnock, who's who's uh, predominantly acts now. Uh, funny dude, long, lanky black dude, um, who's done a lot of TV stuff. And he went on and he talked about a whole bunch of, again, I had no idea what to be a comedian was. I think I made it onto the show two months after the, so if it came out in April, uh, I got into the June show. And, and I had, I had <laughs> in, in typical hood, hoodish form, 
I had told all my friends uh, I was going to be on the June show um, before I, I, you know, was going to be on the June show. And you're new at this point. Yes. You're just a but few months from coming shit. back yeah. Yeah, 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 after yeah, having yeah, taken a yeah, few yeah, years yeah. off. Yeah. So <laughs> I told all my friends I was going to be on the show. And they were like, yeah, man, we're coming down to the show, son. It's going to be hilarious. So, uh, <laughs> so, the, um, so I had to audition for Kenny in his fucking living room. Seriously? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I lie. I lie. I had to audition for him at an amateur night. He got me on amateur night, and it didn't go that well because uh, the material, again, I was writing for, or at least that's what I called writing back then, was for a fucking black crowd. You right. know, people I thought I was going to talk to, not you know people at Young and Eglinton who were you know like Midtown. You know, right, right. So, uh, so some of it was funny, and some of it was like, eh, we don't get it. He's like, I don't think you're ready for the show, kid. And I was like, but in my head, I'm like, fuck, I told all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I, I never told my my friends that I wasn't on the show like uh, that was the Monday and the show was going to be the Sunday because Amateur Night was on Mondays back then and uh, I was like oh fuck I told all my friends I was going to be on the show and shit but but why'd you get the impression you were going to be on because I thought I was the shit (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was the fucking man I'm like I'm the hottest nigga out now I was like yeah fuck that and I, I, I clearly realized that uh i should have listened to mark uh, fucking years before and uh forget right. <laughs> you gotta have to talk about stuff black people <laughs> but uh so anyway so what happened was there was a performer um uh who got caught at the border because kenny was bringing in dudes from like buffalo and shit like that mm-hmm. and one guy couldn't get across the border and he called me like i was at, a, at the barbecue chilling out because i figured fuck it i'm not going down to the show i'm not gonna tell my friends i'm not going down right you know and back then again you didn't have a cell phone to be able to call me from the club and text me like, hey, where are you, man? You know, right, right. LOL, you know, whatever the fuck, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you'd have to go to a payphone, you know, and then call <laughs> me at ho- at home to be like, yeah, where are you, you at the fucking club? So, um, yeah, so, they just figured out when yeah, you get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, where were you? I was like, I don't know, I got sick or something. <laughs> so, uh, so Kenny calls and he's like, hey, kid, have a cancellation, you still want to do the show? And I, and then I was like, oh, fuck, I can't say no because I, I had been oh, begging Kenny God. all week yeah. to do the show. And I'm like, oh, man. Uh, and I'm, I, so I didn't want to look like a fucking punk. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come down. Fuck, I'm, I get nervous <laughs> just hearing the story. Like, so I'm like, all right, I'll, co- I'll come down. And this is the show. day of? Yes. Oh, this my is like, God. So if, if the show's at eight, uh, this must have happened at like three, three <laughs> thirty. <laughs> so, so then, um, so I get to the show, and again, I had to like put together shit. You know, I was like, all right, cool. Here's what I was going to talk about, and uh, oh I had spent God. most of the week begging to be on the right show now. that I didn't even think of. You know, so so Arnold Pinnock goes up before me, and everyone's killing on the show, like everyone, because again, this is all new and, and and killing in that room transcends killing in in any other room. It's like. Oh, it's, blowing the it's roof off the fucking people standing right. up smacking walls yeah, you know yeah, yeah. throwing placenta on the stage it's crazy uh <laughs> so um so arnold pinnock goes up and he's killing but he's killing with all the premises of not all like so let's just say i wrote 100 percent of shit he maybe did like 75 percent of the same subject matter and i'm like oh my god i i, I totally can't do and and uh I'm not even going to lie. There used to be this back room at the old club at Young and Eglinton. Like a, it was like the coat room kind of thing for comics and shit like that. And I swear to God, I got that on my knees, man. And uh, I, it was, uh, <laughs> no, he was on stage. Uh, <laughs> he was about to introduce me. So I get down on my knees. I start talking to God. I'm like, God, please, please let me find something to talk about. Oh my God, and, man. Uh, then he, he calls my name. And he was going to audition in my living room. And then he, he brings me up. And uh, the only thing I could do is just talk about my existence, you know, is, you know, being a, 
kid from Trinidad with Trinidadian parents and growing up in a community with like Jamaicans and, and stuff like that. So it was just real shit. Right. And it, it immediately started to connect. Oh yeah. It, man. It, it, it immediately started to connect with everybody and uh, blew the place apart. Oh and, good. Uh, yeah, Fuck. Yeah, I was yeah, so yeah, scared yeah. and like, nervous. Literally <laughs> blew the fucking place apart. And Kenny and then that's when Kenny and I became fucking fast friends after that shit. And and even Russell, I told you, I told you. So it was it was pretty dope. Wow. Dope God times, came man. through. Oh, he totally did, man. Shit. Well, it just goes to show him. that you know, real shit will always connect and that's what well, that's really what you got to do. Yeah, it's just be real and talk about. Try to what be yourself, you know. so no one right. can steal your jokes because it's you. Well, that's right. Then your material becomes tattooed to your experience. Basically, like, no one can ever take that away from you. It's like a Russian. Holy comedian. shit, that's such a good story, man. Like I was actually sweating in my seat right now. Like being in that, I would have just fucking cut and run. I'm like, oh, well, it's nice to meet Kenny Robinson. I'll never see that guy again in my life. Who's I'm that just- dude in a dress? <laughs> Come back here, sir. <laughs> Oh man, that's a fucking good story. So right away you're in. At this yeah. point you're in the yeah, circle. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and do you get up on you being at that point regularly or how does that work? Like uh, I started to get semi semi um they started to split middle me and then uh again Russell and Kenny kind of continued to co-sign me and then they reluctantly made me a, a middle and um I had I had a solid 20 and then, you know, try to tap dance my way through the last 10 and then you know surely slowly but surely you know it started to get not slowly but i mean surely it got better and uh started to enjoy it and then started to roll with everybody and can talk about this and that and hold it with you know every pretty much you know north crowds east crowds west crowds uh american crowds west indian crowds and then i started to do a whole bunch of other stuff i started to do a lot of black stuff because that's where i cut my teeth predominantly like a lot of a lot of black shows um that that sometimes people don't really realize that exist i don't want to make it sound like in america where there's like a chitlin circuit it's not an entire circuit but there are shows you can do so i did a a lot of uh i did a lot of fashion shows and you know we're gonna have a comedian in the middle and which was always assured death but at the same time i was too stupid to know that it was death i was just so happy to be given a mic and allowed to talk some shit and again i would it it would still people would relate to it you know in the crowds that i was doing so um so that again, the confidence builds, and and then and then you kind of and then you just adjustments. You got to make adjustments. That's ultimately what this game is about: is is making the adjustments. Right. And and so, what did you study in school? That time you met Russell, like, what were you? Where you were working? My dad wanted me to be uh, in marketing, so mm-hmm. I was taking marketing. And so, when when do you make the leap or the decision to go? All right, I'm actually. I'm actually because you're you're obviously your parents are successful uh, work oriented people, and so when do you make that decision in your mind and then make it clear to them that I'm gonna I'm gonna make a <laughs> this is my shot I'm gonna do this uh, before first semester ended <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like that early in and then I just started hitting the road and hitting cow I was pretty much the- homeless for a bit like in the sense that I didn't like going home. Uh, the oddest thing is my dad and I didn't talk for probably close to two years. Is that right? Like he was just, so, again, these are, are people that I always try to explain to people uh, that when they left Trinidad and Tobago um, to come to Canada uh, for a, to make a better opportunity for their kid, these are people who had never been to fucking Tobago. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? You've never been to the sister island that is part of your country. Hey, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. You ever been there? No. Right. <laughs> right. So they jumped on a plane, and then you know, uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to be a. I want to. T- 
tell jokes for a living. I want to be a professional Okay, so they ass. were back home when you decided. No, no, they were here. Oh, they were here. But I'm saying these are people who, who initially left right. Trinidad. Right, right. You know, to make an opportunity. And, and like you said, I, I decided I'm going to quit school to tell jokes. And how did you break that news to them? How did it go Just, over? Uh, like I said, it didn't go over well. Um, my dad wasn't too happy. Um, my mom was just as my mom consistently and still is, you know, always the supporter, you know, you know, giving her son the, the benefit of the doubt that, you know, he is pretty funny, our only house, you know, you never know he might make it. <laughs> so, uh, but my dad was pissed. And then my dad saw me MC my cousin's wedding. And uh, I've always had a ridiculous, and I, I still like to think to this so, if I, if I don't mind tooting my own horn, a ridiculous sense of timing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so because... Um, it's it emceeing i was emceeing it unbeknownst to me like like a show mm-hmm. so it wasn't because I, I i don't know what a, a wedding reception mc is supposed to do and i was like so the next speech is so I, I i wrote jokes like i wrote bits that were like tailored for like the family so um everybody got it right away and then after my dad came up to me at the bar and he's like yeah you're kind of funny (laughs) and then we made up that night and uh now my parents are two of my biggest fans so uh, everything is fucking kosher man that's great that's great and i mean well obviously and and when you start getting the success i mean luckily enough for you all it took was to kill at a at a wedding but (laughs) (laughs) uh you had the i mean you've had so much from a country right right. lower expectations (laughs) What the mic has power? <laughs> Electricity. Because <laughs> I mean, you've had a lot of success in this business. Like, I guess I, I'm, I'm still a, I'm still a big down player, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I, I mean, I don't do it, I don't do it for the accolades, and I don't do it to accomplish it. I do it because I love it. I, I, I still genuinely, I've never fallen out of love with, uh, with comedy. I've had very best, like sometimes in any. In any relationship, you you can plateau and just kind of go through the motions for a bit. And then uh, one of two things is either going to happen. You're either going to realize something needs to change for the worse or something needs to change for the better. And now I think I, not now, but I mean for the last little while, uh, I think I'm back in love and working at at comedy. So um, the stuff that's come along the way, uh, I... And I'm not trying to downplay my talent and I'm not trying to downplay my abilities, but I also want to say Canada is a numbers game. So you do well enough and you work well enough, you'll eventually get something. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, everybody gets it. It's just unfortunately sometimes there's so many of us that everybody wants something right away. You know, so you you end up either consciously or unconsciously competing against each other for the for the one or two spots and then when you don't get it you're like fuck that guy man or fuck that chick man if you just worry about you you'll be fine yeah you know what i mean I, it's never about another comedian if it's about another comedian then you're in the wrong fucking business right. it's supposed to be about you and your jokes and the people that you're telling the jokes to you're not telling jokes to other comedians so we should ultimately never be really worried about what another comedian thinks and i don't you know what i mean so i i just think that i work hard enough to thankfully be recognized and and somebody then says hey you know what here's a shot at blah 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 and i think if we all work hard enough we'll all my my grandmother said it best uh you know may she rest uh rest in peace uh she told to me again when i was 12 it should happen when i was 12 uh, puberty hair beaten off um she told me what's for you is for you 
we can run we can train the same way every day and and do the same run the same distance at the same speed but we'll never get the same results you know what i mean so and that's what i that's what i always took from her just because we tell this we go on the same shows or whatever you might get a festival that I might not get. You might get Just for Laughs and then, you know, I might get, you know, uh, San Francisco or you might get Seattle and I might get, you know, Edmonton or or you get a movie show or a TV show, whatever it is. But you just need to work hard enough so that you get what the universe gives you. That's what it, that's what it is. At least make yourself ready, hopefully ready for shit to come your way instead of worrying about whatever the fuck is coming anybody else's way. That's great advice, but it's so easy on the flip side to fall into that trap of fuck that guy because it's like you said, you end up... But And often when you do that, when you're like, fuck that guy, it's like, yeah, but w- sometimes you don't even try to get the opportunity that a person <laughs> is... You, you haven't even put yourself out there for that yeah. same thing and then they get that thing. You're like, fuck that guy. You're like, yeah, but what did you do to try to get it? It's like, well, nothing, but you know, still, but yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I have the same thought on that. It's just like, work on yourself, yeah. work on, on the craft and eventually things will just, just come. If people work more at their jokes than, uh, writing really nasty Facebook posts, oh, uh, man. way more people would be fucking ahead. Everybody, Absolutely. you know, fuck that shit, man. Uh, ease off of Facebook for a little while and yeah. get your fucking notepad. Yeah, totally. So. Uh, you performed at the Apollo in New yes. York, legendary. Yes. Tell me about that. How was it? Did that live up to? So how obviously that, as a com a young comic oh, coming fuck, up, it that was, was crazy. Like, you know how how that happened was. I remember I told you when I started coming out, it was mostly black shows. So they were these promoters in Montreal. Uh, shout out to Keith and Karen. Uh, who promoted uh, black comedy shows and they would bring up American comics, but they used to drive to, this is how hot Kenny's show was. Uh, Keith and Karen used to drive from Montreal Sunday to get into town to watch the show. The show would end maybe about, you know, anywhere between 12 to 1 because black people don't know what the fucking light is. Uh, uh, and we would all go, and the, but the shows were so electric and so great at the time that people never walked out. They just stayed, this is hot and awesome, and they would drive back to Montreal, and what they were doing was kind of scouting, and then they gave me the opportunity, like, hey, John Paul, why don't you come to Montreal? And I went to Montreal and, and uh, blew up Club Soda, and uh, there were these New York, this New York dude in town, and he's like, hey, we're having a, a urban comedy festival in New York. We want you to come out and be part of this, uh, be part of the festival, and then um so i did a couple shows it was one was in uh oh it was a it was a comedy competition in the bot in greenwich village at the boston comedy club and uh so i ended up winning my round or my heat or whatever so all the finalists had to go to to the apollo uh and the host was steve harvey no <laughs> yes shit <laughs> yes wow and what i remember about steve harvey was uh he had a heavy southern accent uh a fucking cowboy hat and uh the biggest black bodyguard i had fucking ever seen like he looked like he ate four other black bodyguards like that's what he he was giant and then uh steve harvey because he at the time he was i guess he was hot i I mean i I don't know i really wasn't paying attention at that time and uh he would like be going over time and shit like that and then i just remember you know the big black bodyguard dude would be like steve steve come on time time man steve and then he would, all right, your next act. And, and uh, so, um, so yeah, that was my first time doing the Apollo. Um, Were you shitting your pants? It was crazy. When I, when I got there, I got there early because I, I don't know the subway system. And uh, I don't want to be, you know, going to Harlem late at night. You know, I'm still from Toronto. And uh, uh, I just went up the stairs, like up and down, like the 
the Apollo uh, is pretty tall. You know, it's got like different, different. Each stair has like different dressing room, like lead mm-hmm. into different dressing rooms and shit like that. And all that kept going through my head was I wasn't even really thinking about the comedy. I was just thinking about the history of the place, right? And you know, oh my God, you know, Ella Fitzgerald's been here, and you know, Miles Davis, and da da, and count, you know, and all these like like uh, legendary black performers that have you know graced the halls of this place. So I just like was running around more, just trying to touch everything and like absorb energy, you know, and uh, and do that shit. So. Um, <laughs> the dude who went on before me uh, got booed, booed so bad that somebody threw their fucking shoe. And it wasn't even their shoe. They threw a child's shoe. <laughs> and I remember Steve Harvey's like, who brings a child's shoe to the show? <laughs> you know, and then uh, then I got introduced and uh, I did my thing and uh, the jokes went well. I didn't get booed off. I got clapped. I didn't win the competition. Uh, a dude by the name... Uh, I actually know him now. He lives in, in L.A. T-Rex, uh, Todd. Uh, I think his last name is Roberts. Uh, but Todd, uh, T-Rex, really funny dude. Um, he was pretty hot back then, too. So uh, he won the competition. But, uh, yeah, that was my Apollo story, man. It was packed house. It was crazy. And uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Unbelievable. That sounds epic. Uh, you mentioned a couple times, well, you said you want to absorb energy, and then you got down on your knees uh, and prayed before the the Nubian show. Where where are you a religious guy? You're a spiritual guy. Where do you stand? I I more I'm more now that I'm I'm of the mind that I am now. I say I'm more spiritual than religious, mm-hmm. um, and I say I'm more spiritual because I believe I believe in energies. I believe in in you know if you want to call it karma, whatever you want to call it. I believe in in something you know greater than myself. Um, that if you, you, I ultimately like to believe, uh, it's like in science it's an exchange of energies, you know what I mean? It's a transference of energies. And I still think, I think the world operates like that. So I think if you put up out enough positive shit, enough positive shit should come back. I don't expect your entire life to be positive, you know, positive plus every day because in life you need balance as well. Right. And, and no, it's, it's, it's like, I always like to say sometimes is no one learns from winning all the time. You right. know what I mean? Because if all you do is win, when you lose, you ain't going to... That's how, that's how, like, when all you're used to doing is get... I get girlfriends all the time and shit like that. And then the first time you get your heart broken, you, like, kill yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, what is happening to my chest? You know, like, you don't know what's going on. And, you know, what, what's happening to my eyes? And, you know, that kind of stuff. So I figure if, if uh, you experience the bad with the good, when you experience enough bad, you appreciate... The, I like to appreciate the good more. So I just figure I'd rather put out what I think is energy. I might be talking out my ass mm-hmm. but i would rather err in the in the direction of you know being right you know hoping that you know no one can prove that it doesn't exist but you know i can't prove that it does but were you brought up religious yes very much so i, I come from a you know a a conquered country right. <laughs> a colonialized country in, right. the, in the name of colonialism <laughs> the queen came down and you know all that kind of stuff so um so very religious. Trinidad's a very religious island, regardless across the board, and and that's why I think I'm more spiritual because Trinidad is uh, it's got Catholics, it's got Jews, it's got Muslims, um, it's got Buddhists, it's got Hindus. You know, it it's got all sorts of different you know uh, religious sects and backgrounds and beliefs and and stuff like that. So and everybody celebrates everybody's. Uh, religious, religious, uh, religiosity, if that's a word, but I'm making it up now, uh, equally. So there are Hindu public holidays that everybody in the country celebrates. There are Catholic holidays that everybody celebrates. There right. are, you know, all these, you know, Baptist holidays that everybody as a country celebrates, regardless of whether you are or not. So it allows everyone to hopefully 
I, th- I think, uh, respect everyone's space and belief to believe. And that's kind of like how I live my life. So my parents are, you know, very much um, religious and I'm, I'm not mad at them for it. You have kids, two, two yes. kids? Yes. And so what do you teach them in that front? Uh, right now, um, we're, we're teaching them, uh, we're, we're having them practice uh, uh, Christianity. Right. Because that's what we know. And That's then eventually they can, and then they can choose. choose. Right, you can choose. So, yeah, because you have to teach them something. I'd right? rather teach them to believe in something than to not believe in something. Right, I don't want them to be this cynical this early in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I mean, so you can tell me, oh, why are you teaching them, you know, Christianity? And then you are like, well, Santa Claus bought this. You're if if you're telling me I'm teaching a lie, you're fucking teaching a, a different type of lie. Yeah, right. So you pick your lie. You know yeah. what I mean? If 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 mine's a lie, then it's a lie. If yours is definitely a lie because you know I I know Santa Claus don't exist. I know the Easter Bunny don't exist but you teach that to kids so don't tell me you know what lie i can or can't teach you right. know, let me teach my kids what the fuck i want to teach my kids and you teach your kids whatever the fuck you want to teach them yeah and it's definitely I, it's like you you said it's 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 better to teach them some to believe yes. in something than nothing because believe I, but question but question the very existence of even god yeah because i mean i I grew up extremely Catholic. Yeah. M- my mother to this day and father yeah. really yeah. religious. Yeah. But and I kind of look back and I'm glad of of that Me too, uh, upbringing man. because Me there's too. security in there. You learn to have a, a, just kind of guidance. You don't feel so alone. There's something or someone you can turn to whenever yeah. you feel like you can't turn to anybody yeah. maybe on this planet. Yeah. Like you like you in that coat room, you were able to get down on your knees and some find some sort of comfort and courage to that that you pulled it off that night, which again, that's a crazy story. <laughs> Fuck, I still I get butterflies in my stomach just thinking about it, even though I know the outcome. Like, <laughs> uh, and what? Uh, when did you get married? You've you've been with your. I've wife. been with my wife uh, over twenty years, officially wow. and unofficially. Um, but we got married um, probably almost ten years into our relationship. Like she was going to school, and and two things, two two reasons I I. I, don't, I guess as a guy, I'm supposed to technically pull the trigger if we're going to be traditional. Uh, the two reasons that I, I didn't pull, I didn't want to get married, r- not right away, but I, I didn't put it out there like that, but we were still together, was um, one, uh, I was still trying to accomplish shit for myself uh, as a man. And I didn't want to get married not feeling like I'm not bringing something to the table. I knew exactly yeah. what she was bringing to the table. She's very driven. Uh, she, she's very dedicated. She's ridiculously intelligent. Like she was doing, she did uh, double degree undergrad. She did a, a, her MBA. You know what I mean? So I knew she was going to be fine. So I didn't want her necessarily carrying me. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to try to work so that I can feel almost equal at least you know what i mean so even if she's 51 percent, i'm 49 and then some days i'm you know 53 and a half and you know yeah yeah i, I don't do math so i don't know what she would be but uh <laughs> so you know uh 46 and a half anyway um so that's what it was that was that's what it was for me i it was those two things i wanted to feel like i was bringing something to the table if i'm gonna get married and uh, i wanted her to solely concentrate on finishing her mba so when i knew she was going to get her mba that's when i proposed right um uh tour so like i mean there was no way she could fail and not get it so i mean i think it's great i mean you see you're very well balanced like a balanced normal dude which i like i i mean <laughs> i i because i i consider myself pretty normal you are in, pretty in, normal in, you're, you're very common you're like you really are the white me this is <laughs> i feel like i'm looking into an alternate universe <laughs> 
Uh, no, because in this business, there's this, um, you know, preconceived notion that everybody's got to be fucked up uh, or everybody's got to have some sort of issue to be, to be find any sort of success. And the guys I look up to are just normal dudes. So, so yeah, man. Thank you, man. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll totally take that. Thank you very much, man. That's a, a great compliment I'll totally take from a guy I like. So, um, pause. But, uh, <laughs> but, because my, I also think too, um, I think I've done enough. Uh, not that I have any intentions of retiring, but I think if I had to stop for whatever reason, I, I can't, I can look back and be like, all right, cool. You did some shit, man. Yeah, you did yeah. some fairly cool shit. You did some shit. So, uh, so that's another thing that keeps me going because I know there's more shit to do, but I, 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 I think I've done enough shit. Like, my resume is pretty decent mm-hmm. Like when I look at but I don't wear it on my sleeve. You know what I mean? Right. Like, hey, I've done this. I wish you would because it would have made that intro a lot better off the top. <laughs> <laughs> well, then now, now people have reason to tune in and learn about that. That's right. Uh, how'd you get into the writing? Uh, people told me I could write because I, most of my jokes are stories. Right. Um, just because I like to talk. Uh, sometimes I, I, I over talk and I need to master word economy uh, slightly better. See, I'm talking way too much now. <laughs> um, and, but a lot of my are, are involved stories. I like silly shit. And, and in order to be silly, you sometimes have to be semi-detailed. And you almost have to over detail so you paint a picture so that people can see it vividly and get exactly because uh, it the person that people ha- the audience needs to be able to relate right ultimately that's what I want them to do and I figure if it connects somewhere emotionally um, you know in your heart and, and, and in your head and they combine then you can't stop laughter it's, it's mathematics and so what was your first uh, writing gig TV writing gig. Uh, I think, to be honest with you, I think officially my first writing gig, Kenny got a, a CBC special uh, with Ronnie Edwards called Thick and Thin and uh, with Joe Bodelai, uh, God rest his soul, dope-ass white dude. Um, it, it was Thick and Thin and it was like a variety show and uh, they brought me in for punch-up because you know, like, Kenny was like, JP, those voices are the people, of the people, look at that, got it. It's a JP out here, write some, some baggage. Yeah, home run. <laughs> so uh, it was me, Lou Eisen, Ronnie Edwards, uh, Joe Bodelai, uh, Kenny Robinson, um, and we wrote. Uh, I helped write a lot of Thick and Thin as well, um, and I got to be in it as well. And uh, yeah, it was the first Gemini nomination, like maybe two years in the game or something, or two years back in the game from the Nubian show mm. reentry shit. So it was crazy. And so, so since then, you've kind of had between like writing and and stand up. That's been your main. A little bit, yeah. It's been a little bit of everything. Like right. I, I did a couple voiceovers. Um, I, I wrote a pilot. I co-wrote a pilot um, for a Teletoon pilot project that I really wish had gotten greenlit called Ninja Maker. Um, if anybody uh, is close to the internet, type in Ninja Maker, all one word. Um, I'm sure they. Ha- I think they have clips on it and shit like that. Um, it, it to me, it's still one of my most fun projects that i ever got to work on because it's the first time i've ever been to be able to kind of write about you know where i not necessarily where i come from because it's not entirely uh you know this is so jamaican i don't understand it's very it's very bright the animation it's very fluid it's almost anime uh but you know with with kind of west indian jamaican kind of vibe and music and the music's actually pretty good and different accents and english accents and 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 all sorts of crazy stuff um uh, but i I really wish it had gotten picked up so I, i did stuff like that uh i did voices on odd job jack and 
And uh, I, I, things kind of sort of uh, picked up for me after my comedy now um, uh, aired, and uh, which did way better than than I was told it would do. Um, that I knew it would. <laughs> Anywho, Takate. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so things just kind of picked up, and then some people will give me a call and be like, "Hey, we want you to, uh, you know, jump in on on a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you know, to kink in my hair and you know, other you know stuff like yeah, that, yeah. And Junos and Gemini's and you know, awards and all kind of good stuff." So, and what's uh, what's next for Jean Paul? Right now, I'm trying to rededicate myself to stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that I miss it, but uh, I want to remember what it was like to go through the process, going through the whole rocky, you know, from beginning to end. And, and ultimately, I'd like to end up with a one man show. I did a one man show a few years ago uh, called uh, Pardon My French. And um, it was at the St. Lawrence Center. And a uh, great show, sold out. And it, I got to be me. Like, it was like, the first time I had ever, and probably one of the only times, to be honest with you, that I've ever promoted. I'm I'm not a huge self-promoting guy. I I, I like to you know share the wealth and and uh, pay it forward and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but it was the first time I promoted myself comedically to say, "Hey, come see Jean Paul." Right. And uh, it was a great experience, and it's something that I think I've been missing for the last little while because I've been trying to be a dad and be a husband and and all that kind of good stuff. So um, that that it's it's so decent now that I can kind of let it run on its own. Like the kids are old enough that they get shit, and I don't have to be as hands on, but I still am. And and you know, being married and running a house and trying to be a comedian. But now I think I have the energy and the ability uh to be able to go back into comedy comedy and and ultimately what i'd like to come out of this is a a one-man show there it is look for that and where can people find you online jeanpaulcomedy.com i'm also jean paul comedy on instagram jean paul comedy on uh, twitter uh you know all the all that kind of good stuff um you know i I take pretty decent pictures uh so you want to just check me out for that shit my life's fairly interesting see a little bit of you know what my lifestyle is like. Check and, out uh, those ab workouts. Yeah, trust those me. Man. Hanging leg raises with a chain. I've been flexing my core this entire podcast. <laughs> man, are my abs tired? My so, man, thank you so thank much you for, for stopping me, by. Homie. I appreciate it. Island hipster, baby. Island hipster. hipster Lemon Press Hashtag. Studios. You done know? And uh, watch your head. Done know. And there it is, another one in the books. Thanks to my man, the Island hipster, Jean Paul. That was a great chat. Funny, funny fucker. And uh, I hope to see him around a lot more. All right. Thanks to you for listening. Always you. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. And uh, email email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. And like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. That's it for now. Enjoy your long weekend. Hope you get out. Hope you go out. Hope you do something. But as always, if you do, just be careful out there. <laughs> and be sure to always watch your head. The land and spitter, but the following is all so sweet. It's just a waste of time. A beautiful waste of time. It's just a waste of time.
This is Jean-Paul, a.k.a. The Island Hipster, hashtag hipster business, and we are on the Julian Dion Comedy Podcast, man. New episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Check that shit out, homie. Perfect. Thank you, man. That was seriously oh, thank you. great.